Well, we have officially made it to our final chapel together, and everyone said, uh, right? The worst. Who's excited to go home? A few? All right. I understand. I'll, I'll tell you guys how I feel about the end of camp here in a minute. But, uh, man, it's been a great weekend so far, hasn't it? Man, with all the fun, what I feel like the Lord has been doing and stirring in our hearts, um, feel like there's been some tears shed, some sin and shame that's been confessed and brought to light, decisions to surrender our lives to the Lord. And honestly, uh, it's been so cool to sit back and watch. And as a follower of Jesus, uh, as a youth pastor, there's nothing that makes my heart happier than watching a bunch of junior high and high school students um, just singing their hearts out to the Lord, standing over on the side and just listening. Uh, you guys sound really nice when you sing. Did you know that? Yeah, you guys, beautiful voices. So, uh, Don't be embarrassed, man, as you guys go home and sing and sing your hearts out to the Lord. Now, last night, we had a great night, I think, and uh, you guys were presented with an opportunity to make a decision. And and we did it a little bit different. If you've been to camps, a lot of times pastors will have people stand up um, that night as they make a decision. But I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to talk with your leaders, to talk with your fellow campers, uh, and to make an informed decision, one that you've thought through. And I told you guys that this morning... Um, I was going to ask those of you who made a decision to surrender your heart to the Lord, whether it was for the first time or you've done it many times, to stand up this morning. So this is when I will ask that if you made a decision to follow Jesus or to surrender your heart to Jesus, would you just stand um, so that we could celebrate with you guys the decision that you made? Yeah. That is awesome. Congratulations. I can just say to those of you guys who are standing up, and maybe if you made a decision and you just didn't want to stand, you have now made the best decision uh, you have ever made. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's what I like to hear right there. I'm super stoked for those of you guys who made a decision. But I asked you guys earlier, who's excited to go home? I am one of the people who's excited to go home. I love camp. Camp is one of my favorite places to be. It doesn't matter which camp I'm at. But I think my favorite day of camp is often the last day when we get to go home. And I know that might sound weird. Many of you guys are like, man, if I could stay up here forever, I would. This has been so incredible. But here's why I love the last day of camp. These times that we're in right now where we're disconnected from the world, we're kind of up at camp and and we're we're just distant and, and it feels like this is what life should be like, right? No distractions, no phones, just Jesus and fellow believers, and they are incredible. But the truth is that what we have up here is not the same as what we're going to go home to. Like we're at this point, this is incredible. I love camp so much, but the truth is it's kind of like a Christian bubble up here, right? Like we make it so easy at camp to follow Jesus. Chapel, twice a day. The first night we get here, two times yesterday, once in the morning, times to worship. We, we carve out time in your day for you to read your Bible and to spend time with Jesus. There's so what time where you get to dissect and conversate about the things that have been happening and what God has been speaking to you. But when we go home, it's not as easy, is it? Some things start to get added back into life. Following Jesus starts to feel a little bit more complicated. You know, these times, again, like we're in right now, where we're disconnected from the world and we're immersed in life together, these are some of the best times in life. But not all of life is like this. And so these times, these camps are created intentionally for us and on purpose. 
And throughout Scripture, friends, actually we get to see God's people doing something similar to this all throughout the Bible. Now it looks a little bit different. Throughout Scripture, we don't see God's people, the Israelites, his prophets, going off to winter camp for a weekend. But what we do see throughout Scripture is that when God needs to do something in his people's heart, he will often remove them from normal life. He'll take them to a place where they can just have a saturated experience, where there's no distractions, where they begin to be stripped away of everything that has hindered them from knowing Jesus before, and he gives them time to encounter him in a powerful way. If you spend enough time reading through scripture, you'll see that God often has a habit of taking his people to a place where he can work in and through their hearts away from normal life. But the truth is that those people, they don't stay there forever. Throughout scripture, the Israelites, they wandered through the desert for 40 years, partially as a punishment for their sin and rebellion against God, but also so that God could do something in their hearts. Jesus wandered the the desert, spent 40 days in the desert so that he could spend time with the Father. Moses lived 40 years in the desert. Jonah had to be taken into the belly of a well so that God could work on his heart and engage with him in a place that he could hear clearly and understand what he was doing. And friends, none of those moments throughout Scripture happened on accident, but each and every one of those occasions happened on purpose because there was something specific that God wanted to do in the hearts of his people. And I think that God has brought each and every one of you to this camp, to Heartland this weekend, to do the very same thing. To take you out of the rat race of life, out of the normal hustle and bustle to get you into a place where you don't have the distractions and where you can just simply see the Father for who He is. And friends, when we go home, what we have here is going to change. It's going to begin to look different. Following Jesus isn't going to be carved out into your schedule for you. It's going to be a decision that you are going to have to make. And when we're home, don't we struggle to hear God's voice? Right? Isn't it a little bit more difficult? We find it a little bit more difficult to spend time in God's word or to take time to sing our hearts out to the Father. And so I believe that God brings us to a place like this so that he can work on our hearts. But times like this always have to come to an end. And we can't always be away from real life, living in the Christian bubble. Because if that were the case, man, how would we have the opportunity to live as lights in a dark world? Like if we spend all of our time in the midst of other believers, what opportunity do we have to take this good news that we've received this weekend to a world who is in so desperate need of a Savior? But that is what God wants for us. He brings us to a place so He can instill His Word in our heart, so that He can do work on us, so that we can go back and take what we have experienced this weekend to our friends, to our teachers, to our teammates, to our classmates, and our world would begin to change because of the work that God has done in our hearts this week. But it's a whole different ballgame when we go home. What I want to talk to you guys about this morning is how can we make the transition from camp life back to real life and hang on to what we've experienced here. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 14. Uh, We're going to be reading verses 25 through 34 together. I'm going to give you guys just a second to turn there. That's Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 34. All right, here's what it says in Luke chapter 14. It says, Now great crowds were traveling with Jesus. So he turned to them and he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Pretty crazy statement by Jesus right there, wasn't it? 
goes on and he says this in verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In verse 28 he goes on and he says this. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down to calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he's laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all of the onlookers will begin to make fun of him saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Likewise, what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he's able with 10,000 soldiers to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not say goodbye to all of his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now salt is good, but if, it should, if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? It isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile, so they throw it out. And then it says this, anyone who has ears should listen. I wanted to read through that last verse in 35. Because he gives that command, anyone who has ears should listen. Go ahead and raise your hand if you've got ears. Yeah? should see all of those hands. So what that means is every single one of us should hear this passage and tune in to what God is trying to say to us through this. In this passage, right at the beginning, Jesus makes a huge, kind of crazy statement when he goes on to say, anyone who comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. I remember one of the first times I read this passage, how thrown I was when I read that. Like what, what could Jesus possibly mean by anyone who does not hate his family and his wife and his children and his brothers and sisters, even his own life, cannot be my disciple? I mean, haven't your youth pastors been talking to you about like how to love your parents and respect them, right? How to be a good sibling. Like these are things that we often encourage our students to do. But Jesus comes out in a statement and says, if you don't hate your father and mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and your sisters, you cannot be my disciple. And he was making a very bold statement here. See, in this culture, at this time, family was an incredibly big deal. And it would have been totally socially unacceptable to ever um, disrespect or disregard your family. Life was built around the family unit at this time. And so when Jesus comes out and he says, anyone who doesn't hate his family can't come follow me, people would have probably been like, what is this guy talking about? I'm sure people were very confused when Jesus said it. But friends, this is what I believe Jesus is saying. here. If you truly want to be a follower of me, if you truly want to be a disciple of Jesus, there cannot be anything in your life that you hold as more important than me. He follows it up by saying, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And in that statement, Jesus is going on to foreshadow what he's about to do on the cross, where he made a demonstration and set an example for us of he valued his relationship with his people so much that he was willing to give everything in order to make that relationship right, friends. And in the same way, because of the example that Jesus set for us, we are then called to do the same for our relationship with him in order to give everything up so that we can be made right with God. And then Jesus moves down into this portion of Scripture where he begins talking about, man, a, a guy who wants to construct a tower wouldn't first, or who, he wouldn't start building without first sitting down to calculate what this project is going to cost them. It says otherwise, after he's laid the foundation and can't afford to finish it, people will begin to look at him saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. 
the illustration continues and it says, um, talk, starts talking about a king who wouldn't take his soldiers to war without first considering how many soldiers he would need to stand up to a larger army. It says, otherwise, if he knows that he can't afford to go to war, he would then send terms for delegation and peace so that he would be able to survive that fight. Now, let me pause and ask you guys this. How many of you guys have ever had a camp high feeling? Like anyone ever gone to camp, felt totally on fire for Jesus, and then went home and it was short-lived? Anybody? A few of you guys? That was me. Like basically every camp that I ever went to growing up, that was me. It was on fire for Jesus. I was like, I would literally run through a brick wall to follow Jesus. And then I got home and I saw a brick wall and I was like, yeah, not doing that. You know what I'm saying? Friends, the reason that I believe camp highs are so prevalent at every single camp that we go to is because we show up and we're in this intense, boiled down community where all we do is talk about Jesus and all we do is read our Bibles and we sing and it's all focused around Christ and we make decisions based on things that we think we want to do. The problem is that many of us make decisions that we haven't actually thought through. What is this going to look like when I go home? And friends, that is where the breakdown, I believe, happens. We come to camp. We feel on fire for Jesus. It's so easy up here. None of your bad friends, none of the distractions, your phone isn't around. And so it's like, man, it's so easy to follow Jesus. But the moment you get home or you're on the bus or in the van or in your car and your cell phone comes back on, what's the first thing you're going to do? Go right back to Instagram, right back to Snapchat, Right back to texting those people that you know you shouldn't be talking to. As soon as the distractions come, I think many of us and our commitments we make begin to crumble. Friends, the decisions that we make at camp a lot of times look like a man who sets out to build a tower, yet doesn't calculate or think through what it's going to cost him to finish the project. And as a result, as soon as it gets too hard, we bail out. We back out and we can't finish the project. Friends, here's the truth. If you want to surrender 100% of yourself to Jesus, it's going to be hard work. It's not something that you can just accidentally do. Like I have never one time in my life accidentally followed Jesus. My nature is I'm prone to sin. My heart is prone to wander. I'm prone to do the things that God has not called me to do. And so if we want to live as fully surrendered followers of Jesus, it's going to take an intentional effort. It's going to be hard work. There are going to be times when it's difficult. And the reality is this, that every single time we choose to say yes to Jesus, we're going to have to say no to something else. Every time we want to walk in obedience, we have to surrender something on the back end. Like I said, following Jesus is not something we can accidentally do. Rather, it's an intentional decision that we have to make every single day. It's a commitment that takes hard work. It takes grit. Sometimes, friends, it might seem inconvenient and not easy and uncomfortable and not like something that you are going to want to do. But, friends, it is so worth it. Every single second of following Jesus is worth it. As we finish up our time together talking about surrender some of you guys have made decisions this weekend to surrender your lives to the Lord. For the first time, for the 80th time, whatever it is, some of you guys have made a decision to surrender your life to Jesus. And I want to make sure that before we leave this mountain, that we understand exactly what we've committed to. Because if we walk off the hill, having not thought through what we just said yes to, it will be short-lived just like every other camp experience. I think that oftentimes our understanding of surrender leads us to believe that surrender is a one-time ordeal. 
that like this weekend, last night, you made a decision to surrender, and now you're good. And friends, that is not the truth. Instead, surrender is a decision that we have to make every single day. That when we wake up remembering that our lives are not our own, and so we have to surrender our wills. We have to surrender our comfort. We have to surrender the things that seem easy, or those habits, or those friendships. There are things that we have to choose to surrender every single day. If we look back at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, what we talked about the first night where Paul says, here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're eating, you're sleeping, you're walking around, you're going to work life, and place it before the Lord as an offering. It says embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Friends, Jesus wants your everyday, ordinary life. And we have to choose to surrender every single day. I want you guys to remember this. Just because the decision was made this weekend doesn't mean you're good to go forever now. There is a decision that has to be made every single day to surrender. Friends, instead, this weekend, you, have may, you may have just made the very first decision to surrender. And that first surrender should now lead you to a lifetime of surrendering your heart to the Lord daily. Remember, He wants your everyday ordinary life, not just the big things, not just the crazy things, not just the hard things, your everyday ordinary life. The Apostle Paul talks about his experience in surrendering to the Lord, and he says, everything that I've had, every accomplishment I've ever made, every comfort in life, every good thing I've ever had, I count it as garbage when I look at it in light of the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Friends, my hope and goal for you this week, and my prayer has been this, that as you sit and you sing to the Lord and you hear God's word taught and you spend time in his word alone, that you would begin to understand the value that is found in knowing the person of Jesus Christ. And that when you understand the value, that that value would begin to surpass all other value that you place on other things in your life. Every friendship, every relationship, every A plus you get on a test, every starting position you have on your sports team, that the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ your Lord would begin to surpass everything else in value. My prayer has been that your relationship with Jesus would then become the most important thing that you've ever said yes to. What I want you to know as we finish our time together this weekend is this. If you choose to trust Jesus with your life, you will begin to experience life that is right in line with what Paul writes in that passage. That everything I've ever had looks like garbage now because I know how sweet and how good and how incredible it is to know the God of the universe and to be loved by him. Friends, and as we grow in our knowledge and our trust and our understanding of who our God is, all other things will begin to pale in comparison to that. Now I'll say this. Saying yes to Jesus does not ensure that life is going to be easy when you go home. In fact, the goal of following Jesus is not so that we could then live an easy life. And I think many Christians, the wheels fall off our relationship with Christ because we think that saying yes to Jesus ensures us a problem-free life. And friends, that is actually quite opposite of the truth. Jesus promises disciples, in this life, you will have troubles. He says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Friends, so when you go home and things get difficult, when you go home to that crummy situation that's going on in your parents' marriage, or to that horrible friendship that you're going to have to go home and address when you get there. Or whatever that situation is, Jesus says, you will have troubles. So don't expect life to be easy when you go home. But he says this, take heart, 
when things get difficult. For I have overcome the world. Friends, and if you've given your life to Jesus, the power of Christ now lives within you. And it's not you who follows him, but it is his spirit who leads you and who guides you and who walks with you every single step of the way. I share this with my students back home all the time, and I want to share it with you guys. I think when we often think about our best life ever, like if I were to give you a second and say, now think about your ideal life, the best life that you could ever imagine. I'm sure your mind would probably go towards things like um, having a great job or getting a college scholarship and then landing an incredible job and then getting married and having a big house and a nice car and awesome kids. And like if we were to line up our life, that's probably the ideal life that we could think of. Friends, but what if that is not the measure of a life well lived? Let me offer you this thought. What if the most perfect life you could ever live was not a problem-free life or a life with everything you've ever wanted? What if the most perfect life you could ever live is a life where you have learned to be completely dependent on Jesus in every situation? So that whether you have plenty, you can say, thank God. And if you have little, you can say, praise God. That's what Paul says. He says he's learned the secret of being content in all situations. When he's had much he can thank God. When he's that little, he can thank God. When he's living in wealth, praise be to God. And when he's poor, praise be to God. When he's hungry, thank God. And when he's well fed, thank God. Friends, what if the most perfect life, the life that you were created to live is a life where you have learned to become dependent on the Father in every single area of your life? What if that was the thing that you were meant to do here? Friends, if you want to make a commitment that's going to last longer than a few weeks or days or months, it's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit living within you to do it. You can't do it on your own. It's going to take uh, making some deliberate plans and action steps, some very practical things that you can do as you head home. It's going to take you actually spending some time up here before you get in your car to leave to think about What is it actually going to look like when I go home to stay committed to this surrender decision that I have made this weekend? Maybe it's giving up a friendship or surrendering a relationship or a sport or giving up social media or you name it. Friends, I'll beg of you though, please do not get into your cars after this without thinking about what it's going to look like when you go home to follow Jesus. If I can be honest with you, if you leave, having made a split-second decision, a spur-of-the-moment choice to follow Jesus, but have not made or taken the time to think through it, this weekend was probably a waste of time for you. It's just going to be another one of those camps that you try to say yes to Jesus, and it sputters out a few days down the road. Friends, and that is not the life that Christ has called you to live. So I encourage you, man, make a plan. Set up a plan to start diving into God's word every day. Ask one of your friends in your cabin to be an accountability partner for you. Friends, we weren't called to live this Christian life alone. Yeah, you make a personal decision to follow Jesus, but that decision is lived out in community with one another. The reason that you're cheer with your church and with your leaders is that you guys can walk together so that you can spur one another on towards righteousness, so that you can encourage each other, pick one another up when you're down or when you're struggling, that you can call each other out when your lives aren't lined up with what Jesus has called you to do. Ask one of your leaders if they'd be willing to mentor you when you go home. Friends, one of the best things I ever had in my life was a godly male 
a godly man. And, and girls, it would be for you, a godly woman who's years ahead of you in life, who can say, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. These are some of the areas that I struggled in, and this is what I did to overcome those things. These are some of the things that helped me in my walk. If you can have a mentor who can pour into you and invest in your relationship with Jesus, friends, you will be set up for success. And these are all simple things. But oftentimes, it's the small things that end up making the biggest difference. Now, as we wrap up our time here this weekend, I want you guys to know that you've been awesome. Man, I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. Um, it's been a privilege to be your camp speaker this weekend. Um, and my heart has been so encouraged to watch junior high and high school students give their lives up to Jesus. Like there is nothing in this world more than I love than watching young people say yes to Jesus time and time and time again. And I want to leave you guys with this. This will be the last thing that I share with you. This is the best advice I've ever received on how to follow Jesus well. It's a simple thing. It's this. Listen for his voice and respond quickly when he speaks. This is the best advice I've ever received on what does it mean to follow Jesus. Listen for his voice and quickly say yes when he speaks. Friends, and if you do that, the complications of life leave. Following Jesus is not rocket science. When he speaks, quickly say yes. Friends, and if you quickly say yes to the Father every time he speaks to you, you will find yourself living a life of obedience. And I'll remind you of this. Friends, you will never regret surrendering your life to the God who gave you that life in the first place. You will never regret it. You'll never regret it. It's the one decision you can make in this life that you will never second guess, that you'll never look back on and regret. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful. God, that you loved us enough to call us up to Heartland Winter Camp this weekend. God, so that you could pull us aside. God, you could do work in our hearts. God, so that we could be sent back into a world that is in desperate need of a Savior. Father, I pray for every person sitting in this room today. God, that we would count the cost of discipleship. God, that before we leave this mountain, we would make an intentional, logical, and thought-through decision of what it is going to take us to say yes to you every single day of our lives. Father, and if we're not taking that time, God, I pray that there would be roadblocks and delays on our cars getting here so that we are forced to have that time where we can think through what is this going to look like when I get home. God, thank you for places like Heartland, man, where we can come, we can leave the distractions and the worries of life behind and we can just be in a purified place with you. God, would you sanctify us? God, would you set us apart? Father, would you use us as we head back to our cities to change the world for your sake. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.